All right. Hey, welcome to New Life. Glad you guys are here today. My name is uh, Jeff Baker. I am one of the pastors on staff. If you're a guest here with us at our Carney location, I want to say thanks for coming out. Maybe you're a guest with us down in the venue. Super excited to have you guys with us. And uh, as well as today, we are welcoming everyone to North Platte for our grand opening. And we really want to say congratulations. Yeah. It's been, uh, yeah, people you can tell are excited, uh, so we're all excited together, man. We're one church worshiping, and now, right now, three locations at the exact same time. That's pretty, that's pretty exciting. God's doing some wonderful things around our church, and so how can you be a part of it? Well, you can continue to be a part by making sure that you don't become a clicky group of people. Make sure that when new people walk in the doors, they find you op- openly welcoming them. I've had people come into my office these past couple months have made me super proud of New Lifers. They've said to me over and over again, one of the great things about New Life is that when we walked in the door, people made us feel like we were home. And these were complete strangers. They had never walked through our doors before. And that's something that you're doing, okay? That's not something that just I'm doing. It's something we're all doing together. And it's happening in North Platte. It's happening uh, down in the, in the gym at the venue. Um, it's happening here in our main auditorium. You guys, if you, if you guys want to have a church that impacts and changes the world, then we all have to do this together. It's not just about coming and hearing a sermon and singing a few songs. It's about loving the people that God brings through these doors. People that you've never met before. Go out of your way. Go out of your way. Look people in the eye. Actually learn people's names. Right? You're going, well, it would be a lot easier if I had name tags. No, it wouldn't. Because <clears throat> you would keep cheating. And you would just keep reading the name tags. This is now our opportunity to really get to know people. All right? So we're going to stretch ourselves. We're going to grow. It's going to, be, it's going to be great. And just keep helping us grow God's church by reaching people for Jesus. Right? Now remember, I want to make sure that we're super clear on this. All right? Look me in the eye. Right now, we're kind of like, like in a huddle getting ready to play the game. I want you to know right now, why are we trying to grow a big church? Just so we can have a big church? No, because that's a lame answer. We want to grow a big church because God wants every single person that's out there living in our communities to know him as their personal Lord and Savior. That's why I don't care how large the church gets, as long as we're reaching people for Jesus. Amen? That's our focus. That's our focus. So today we're going to continue the journey in the I Am Second series. We're just going to take God's word, preach it as truth. See, that's, we're not trying to grow a large church by watering down God's word. We're going to keep preaching God's truth. Let's keep loving people right where they're at. So in jumping into today's message, one of the things that I want you to contemplate and consider with me is this. Have you ever broke something that was super significant to you? I want you to think about something that has broken that is super significant to you. Like, as an example, have you ever been with your car driving someplace and then your car breaks down? Right? None of you? Right. Yeah, you guys all have perfect cars. Got it. Yeah, well, that's happened to me. It's not convenient. It's not fun. It's not the kind of thing that you just go, whoa, I'm super excited that my car broke down, right? What about your cell phone? You've ever used your cell phone playing video games, watching Netflix shows, and then it was time to make a very important phone call and you had no battery left and the phone was now basically technically broke, can't be used for what it needs to be? Have you ever had one of those moments happen to you? Yeah, that doesn't feel good, does it? No, no, I mean, here it is, man, your phone's staring at you and it won't turn back on. 
How about your credit card? You ever gone out, take the family out for a meal or take a friend out for a meal and you're like, I got this. And you stick your card in the nice little, you know, booklet and they take it away. And then here the waiter or the waitress comes back with that weird look on their face like they're getting ready to, you know, let you down and let you know, I'm sorry, but uh, your card's not working, uh, sir or ma'am. Isn't that an awkward feeling? Don't you just kind of want to like sink down underneath the table a little bit? Like, I really do pay my bills, seriously. I'm not that far in debt. I'm not that kind of a person. But nevertheless, there it is, and the brokenness of that, it doesn't feel good, does it? I'll tell you one of the things that frustrates me that's essential, and when it breaks, it's like my world comes to a screeching halt, unfortunately, the internet. When the internet breaks, and you know, you're sitting there trying to pull up that website on your smartphone and you get the the spinning wheel of death going on now that's not fun right and it's just staring at you or you hit send and it's just going sending 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 and like an hour later sending sending there's nothing fun about that at all and when when you rely on the internet and it's essential for you to get your work done at times and it breaks down wow we're in big trouble but i'll tell you what's even worse than that in our society is when the electricity breaks we don't even know what to do when the electricity goes out You know, we go, how are we going to stay warm in winter? How are we going to be cool in the summer? We don't even know. We've lost the ability to even survive. What are we going to do with the food? You know, people go into panic mode. We lost power five minutes ago. What are you doing, Mom? I'm cooking all the food in the freezer so it doesn't go bad. Right? And it's just been pulled out and all the hamburgers laid out all over the place. And you're like, Mom, the the, the electricity's going to come back on. It's going to be okay. Don't panic, right? We don't even know how to eat when the electricity goes out. I mean, I can't run a microwave. How am I going to eat, right? So in the world we live in, when essential things break, it can really mess up our lives. What about when relationships break? What about when marriages break? What about when a boss and an employee, that breaks? What happens when a relationship is being strained between neighbors, What happens when relationships break? Because all too often, you would not put up with electricity being off for too long. You would not put up with a dead cell phone. You would not put up with the internet being broken. You would definitely not put up with your car being broken. But it's amazing how we put up with relationships being broken for way too long. Some of us in this room and listening to my voice today, have we have broken relationships that we've allowed to be broken for years. That's a sad thing to say. That you have a strained relationship with a cousin or with a, with a sister or with a brother and you just allowed it to stay strained. Well today, that's what we want to talk about. We want to talk about what happens when you have broken relationships. How does that affect you? Because one of the things that it, that it does is it, it will drive you to become first in a number of different ways of which you'll hear today. Now, your life, I want you to give a picture for your life today before we get started. Your life is like a ski boat. Anybody like ski boats? Okay, we have two people in the main auditorium. Everybody that likes ski boats is probably out in North Platte right now. That's where they like ski boats. Let me tell everybody that's listening to me right now. There's this thing called a lake, okay? You get this boat and you get on it and it's a lot of fun. I recently had the privilege of being out at a lake uh, this year with some folks that are here in our church. Graciously allowed us to go out and then they were so gracious that... Um, this guy, he got in his boat and he became the captain of the ski boat, right? Only for one purpose and one purpose only. Not to show us how fast his boat was, although that was impressive. 
right? Not to show us how agile it was, although that was impressive. Not, to sh- not just to show off how good of a ski boat captain he can be, although that's impressive too. But what he did was he got in the boat, he got in the driver's seat, and he goes, you know what I'm going to do for these next few hours? I'm going to make your day. And he created a wake. Now, since there's only three people that know what ski boats are, I'm pretty sure none of you guys know what a wake is. So <clears throat> we're not talking about some, some old school wake, all right? We're talking about the boat displacing the water, creating this wake. And you know what that wake became? It became a playground for us. We got out there on wakeboards and skis, and we just had a blast on those wakes, creating memories. And man, his life, like a ski boat, came rushing through our lives that day, and he created this memory that we won't soon forget. Your life is like that ski boat, and it's going through life, and it's dispersing people. And are they playing in the wake of your life? Are they enjoying the fact that you've come into their lives? Or are they the kind of people that are on the shore when the person with the ski boat comes racing by too close and big waves go in and they crash against it and they beat things up and they destroy things? What kind of wake are you leaving today? Because your life is like a ski boat and you're definitely leaving a wake. Are people playing in it and having fun? Are they disgusted by the fact that you just came racing through and or by their life? Jesus told us a story about relationships in Luke chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to go to Luke chapter 15. Um, it's going to help you there. If you don't, have, um, you don't have a Bible, but you have a smartphone, you can obviously look up many different Bibles uh, that are on there, but you can also use our YouVersion app, and you can follow along with us. So you're definitely going to want to go there. But Jesus in Luke chapter 15 told a story about a father and two sons, and how this relationship developed and how it broke down. There was a There was a break that happened in the relationship. And Jesus is trying to teach us a lesson in Luke chapter 15 of what what happens with broken relationships. What's the difference between broken relationships that get mended versus broken relationships that just are allowed to stay broken? So to help us uh, grasp this, all during this series we've been doing some monologues um, of the scripture of Luke chapter 15 of the prodigal son story. Today you have a very unique opportunity to hear the prodigal son's story from the perspective of the older brother. The older brother that had a hard time forgiving. Why don't you take a listen to Luke chapter 15 from the perspective of the older brother. My dad, he just... He doesn't get it. My brother is a, is a total waste. He always has been. They, they never used to get along, but it wasn't until my brother really messed things up that he started to suck up to dad. And now they're best friends. I, I guess he always was dad's favorite. And it, it, it didn't really matter what he did. Dad always treated him like he was his perfect son. All he had to say was, I'm sorry, and dad acted like whatever he did never happened. The best day of my life was the day my brother decided to leave. Uh, He talked about it for years. He'd say, I want to see the world. I I hate dad's rules. I want to live my life. Well, thank goodness, he finally decided to get out of my hair so that I could live my life. He, He went to dad and He asked for his inheritance, and and I told Dad that was a bad idea because he just wasted it, like he wasted everything else in his life. But 
<laughs> Dad didn't listen. He, he gave him practically everything. Uh, he probably would have given him my portion too if, I, if I'd let him. And you know what he did? My brother, he left the next day. Hardly said goodbye. He took everything that dad gave him and he disappeared. He never wrote. Um, and what we heard about him, uh, we heard from friends. I, I, I guess he tried to invest some of the money, but he was either too stupid or lazy to, to make anything off of it. And uh, the worst part, uh, he spent most of it on, on women and, and beer. <laughs> he, he wasted dad's hard-earned money on girls and parties. And, and I guess he w- he'd wear these ridiculous clothes that he'd get from the most expensive stores. And uh, after the party, he'd take home, you know, whatever girl he could. After, after a while, we stopped hearing about him. Nobody really knew what happened. My best guess was he probably passed out drunk in a ditch, and, and that was the end of him. And honestly, I was okay with that. I, I was tired of hearing about Dad's precious son. But one day... He showed up. He looked totally pitiful. He was smelled like a pig. He was half starved. And you know, it's what he deserved. It served him right. He needed to, to learn his lesson. Anyway, he, he acted like he was sorry for what he'd done and, and and for all he'd wasted. He kept apologizing to dad and, and to everybody. But I, I didn't believe him. I, I still don't, but d- Dad couldn't stand to see his precious son looking so miserable, so he, he threw him a party. He, he invited all his friends, and he bought all this food to celebrate my brother. He told me that I should be happy to have my brother home, that he was dead, and that now he's alive. That he'd learned his lesson and that we needed to forgive him. I can forgive, but I'll never forget what my brother did. I'm the better brother. I'm first. All right, that's a unique perspective of that passage in Luke chapter 15. Obviously, there's more to the story, and we're going to try to dive into that right now. But did you hear how he ended his monologue? It's not, it's not, the, it's not the right way. He ended it, I am the older brother, and I am first. This is what happens when you intentionally allow broken relationships to remain in your life. When you allow uh, an, a moment of unforgiveness to remain in your heart and in your life, it, it, it acts like, <clears throat> I don't know, it acts, it acts like a bobber that's being held underneath the water and it wants to shoot to the top. It wants to get into first. That's what happens when we harbor unforgiveness, like the older brother was doing, or when we hold grudges, or when we allow jealousy to rule our hearts and our minds. And in fact, when you try to defend yourself 
when, you, when, when there's been an offense or something's taken place and you're going to defend yourself and you're, you're going to make sure everyone knows, you know, you've got a good name and you didn't do anything to harm anyone, all of that effort is driving you to become first instead of second. That's what happens when you have broken relationships. So how can you have healthy relationships that don't cause you to want to become first, that allow Christ to live its first in your life? There's three quick things we want to talk about today out of this passage. First is, you've got to be thankful for the relationships that you have. Be thankful for the relationships that you have. Take a look at um, this passage in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 12. It says that the younger son... He told his father, I want my share of the estate now before you die, dad. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, um, this younger, younger son packed all of his belongings and he moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. One of the things you need to know about this boy and this family is that, I mean, in many ways, this would be a perfect home. Here's a father who loves his kids. Here's a father who has plenty of wealth. Here's a father that's a successful businessman. Here's a father that has a bunch of other servants that are working for him. He owns a bunch of land. His two kids are destined to have an amazing inheritance. But what do you find happening in the heart of this young man? He comes and he asks for his share of the estate before his father even dies. Now that's shameful. It's shameful today. It would be shameful then. It's even more shameful then than would be even considered today, unfortunately. That's the decline we've seen in our culture. He didn't deserve his inheritance at that moment. That wasn't the right thing to do. It it wasn't the the practical thing to do. Um, It wasn't the cultural thing to do. But nevertheless, the father goes ahead and he divides up the inheritance and he gives it to the son. Now this tells us something about the son right now. He doesn't have a value for his father. He doesn't have a value for everything his father has built. He doesn't respect what his father has done. And he comes to him and he basically wants what, what he thinks is rightfully his and he wants it now. He doesn't want to have to wait till later. He wants it now. He thinks I deserve it now so that I can do what? I can go live my life the way I want to. So what is the son showing us? In this devaluing of what God's really put around him, he is, he's bought into a me-first mentality, which is causing him to look, like many of us have done in our lives, look at the other side of the fence, look on the other side of the river, and think to ourselves, the grass is greener over there. Have you ever been found in one of those situations? Where, where you were at, you'd lost the value for. You lost the respect for. You, lo- you, don't, you didn't cherish where you were at. It might be in a relationship. It could have been a number of different things. And you're now looking, going, if I could just get out of this situation, I guarantee you it's going to be better over there. And you started dreaming the picture of what life would be like if you could just get out of this particular relationship or you could get out of this particular moment. Have you ever been there? I bet you have. Sure you have. But you, you realize, though, right, that what you're looking at is the same thing that this young son was looking at. You think it's greener. You think it's better. You think it's more beautiful. But really all it is is pigs colored green. That's it. Mud and filth that's been sp- sprayed green. True. Now, I was in the military at one point in my life. One time, we got the craziest assignment ever. We were going to get an inspection from some high-ranking brass, and they came into my office, and they gave us cans of green spray paint. And they said, we've got this area out here. We can't make the grass grow in it. 
you're going to go spray it green so it looks nice. So there we were. We're out there in our camo, <laughs> spraying the grass green so that when the high brass came, it all looked really nice. But you still know the grass is dead, right? Just like it is when you're thinking you don't value the relationship that you have right now. You don't cherish what you have, teenagers. You don't cherish your parents. You don't value them. You think that life's going to be better if they just let you move out and go do your own thing. That you're ready to do that at age 13. You're not. I'm ready to do that at age 16. You're not. The same thing happens, though, in, in the heart of people. When you look at things and you think it's greener on the other side, many times what you're doing is you're staring at pigs painted green. That's exactly what this young boy found out in this family. He believed that something was going to be way better than what it actually was. About 20 years ago, my wife went to uh, Los, Los Angeles with a girlfriend of hers, and they went on a vacation, and I was excited for her to go. You know, I just told her, honey, just make sure you stay out of the bad parts of town, all right? Don't, don't take a wrong turn. I'm not there to protect you or any of those kind of things. And then she calls me, and she's lost. And I go, well, where are you at? Read the nearest sign to me. She goes, it says Compton. Now, if you know anything, Compton's not probably the place you'll be lost in. But anyway, she found her way to her hotel, and everything ended up being okay. One of the things she was excited to do was to go to the show, The Price is Right. Anybody seen the show Price is Right? Yeah, yeah. If we were here on the show Price is Right and I called out someone's name like Kim Baker, then, yeah, she would just be, she would cheer and she would run to the front, right? The show still airs today. But after my wife got back and uh, I asked her, I said, honey, how did you like the show? Wasn't that so exciting? I mean, you were watching a show that's going to be aired on national TV. How exciting is that? She goes, it was such a letdown. Such a letdown. The room is so small and everything is old and it's cheesy and it's plastic and it's just, I don't even want to watch the show again. You know, because you had these grand hopes, this grand idea that it was going to be bigger than life. You know, it was going to be this moment where you were like, wow, this is good. I might even get my name called. And then you get in there and it's an oversized closet. And you just get like, oh, man, so what a bummer. And that's what happens in our lives. When you're in a situation that you don't have any value for. When you're in a, you're in a relationship that you've lost the respect. When you're in an environment where you're no longer thankful for what God has given you. You start looking for something that you think is going to please you. You start looking for relationships that you think are going to make you happy. You start looking for a change of scenery, a change of job or whatever. But wherever you go, there you are. You are your greatest, worst enemy. You're the one who keeps dreaming of the green pigs and you can't get them out of your mind. So today, what is your modern day pig that's causing you to devalue everything that God's given you for you to cherish and to maximize? What is your modern day pig? What is that pig that's there that's shining, it's glistening, you know, in the sunlight, and it's calling you to itself, and it's saying, come to me, I'm way better than where you're at. It's deceiving you, come to me, I've got the answers that you're looking for. In your marriage, if you're looking for someone else to try to please all of your needs, and you're not cherishing, you know, the person that God gave you, I'm telling you, you're staring at a green pig. 
If you're at your workplace and all you can see all around you is, you know, you're, you're not thankful for what God's given you, you're not giving your best, you're not valuing it anymore, and you're looking at this other job, let me tell you, you're staring at a green pig. Until you maximize what you've been given, everything else is just painted green on the other side. Let me give you a warning today. Identify the pigs that are trying to sway you from where you're at, or you will be living with them. One day, you'll wake up and you'll realize, this is not what I intended. This is not what I hoped for. This is not what I was dreaming of. These things didn't look anything like this a few months ago. They didn't smell anything like this a few months ago. That person I thought was amazing. I thought that new job was going to take care of all of it. See, it's an issue of the heart. It's an issue of first going, God, help me be more thankful for what you've put around me. That's what, the, that's what the younger son lost. We'd have a greater value for what you've put around me. That's what the younger son lost. So my question to you today, maybe my challenge to you today, is what can you do this week that will let the people that are closest to you, that you love and you cherish the most, people you work with, people that you're neighbors with, people that are in your family, what's something practical that you can do to let them know how much you value them and you care for them? Let me tell you how simple it is. Last Tuesday, Kim and I, we shut down the church office. So if you called during the time we had it shut down, I apologize. But hopefully everybody lived, right? Because we took the whole staff, we went to our house, and we had a barbecue for them. Just to remind them, you're valuable to us. You're more valuable than keeping that office open for an hour or so. You're more valuable than that. You matter to us. And I hope that the staff got the message that we really cherish them and we value them. That was just something simple. What's something simple that you're going to do this week so that you don't allow this devaluing and um, this unthankfulness to start creeping up inside of you because it will rob you from the very best that God's given you. And you will become first. And you want to live as second. Another thing that we learned from this story is if you want healthy relationships where you stay firmly in second and Christ stays firmly in first is this. You have to know what a true confession is. Because, see, relationships are going to get broken at times. There's going to be moments where you're going to do things like I'm going to do things. They're going to wound others, and you're going to have to be able to step up to the plate and admit that you were wrong. Take a look at what happens here in verse 17 of Luke chapter 15. It says that when he finally came to his senses, the younger son, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I'm dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. Very important. I've sinned against both heaven and you. Important. And, I, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. A true confession involves a few things of which this young man has come to his senses and he's modeling for us today. The first one is that we have to recognize he burnt a relationship. He wounded someone that God put into his life. And when we do that, our first sign of repentance needs to be towards heaven. In these words towards God. We have to first repent to God. That's our first move. The second repentance then goes to the Father. It goes to the person on this earth that we've offended. But notice that the Son doesn't demand to be called Son. He goes, I'm not even worthy to be called Son. So a true confession doesn't put stipulations in there. It doesn't have any demands. It doesn't try to control the other person by you coming and trying to confess to them. 
The son also, he doesn't demand forgiveness. That's a key thing to remember in a confession. Your confession of I've wronged you, I've wounded you, I've been living first and I definitely want to live second, doesn't mean that the other person is going to instantly forgive you. Just because you confess, that does not mean that they are going to instantly forgive you. So you can't hold that over them if they don't. You have to let your confession stand firm even if a person doesn't offer forgiveness. The son, though, teaches some other things to us. He doesn't pause in his confession, like, I'm not worthy, I'm sorry I've offended you, but, Dad, hey, before we move on from here, let me tell you a couple of things. You know, when you said those words to me, that hurt me. When you did that to me, that hurt. You remember when you did all of these things and it really hurt me? That's not a true confession. A true confession doesn't flip the coin and start blaming the other person for your actions. A true confession deals with your actions. It's humbled, it shows real sorrow, and it demands nothing. A couple weeks ago, I had to do that. I had to offer a true confession for some actions that were inadvertently done that brought pain and wounded someone. Now, when I found out about it, I'm going to tell you honestly what my first response was. My first response was the same thing you probably would have done. Oh, man, I didn't intend to do that. I'm going to defend myself. That's what I want to do. I want to make myself look good in this. I want to get done with this thing and let them know I'm not the one at fault here. You shouldn't have taken that as an offense because I didn't intend it. That's the first things that go racing through my mind, right? I want to explain myself. I want to help you understand the actions that I took because, man, those definitely weren't the things that were going to wound you. But here's what the Holy Spirit was saying to me the whole time. Jeff, that's not the approach that you're going to take. Although those things might even be true, but you're not going to take that approach. What you're going to do is you're going to humble yourself and you're just going to confess and you're going to, you're going to make the wrong right. You're not going to try to defend yourself. You're not going to try to explain it. You're just going to boldly own it and you're going to say, I'm sorry. And because of that action, the relationship almost instantaneously starts changing back to let's work together let's accomplish this and let's move on badly i wanted to defend myself badly i wanted to explain myself but it was best just to say i was wrong and let it rest that way and for you in the confessions that you need to make that's the kind of approach do it quickly you know don't confess for your own selfish gain Confess to someone when it's right for them. Confess in a way that doesn't demand you to explain yourself. Confess in a way that doesn't demand you to try to defend yourself. Just humble yourself and confess. It's the quickest, fastest way for you to descale yourself from first down to second and let Jesus take over in that relationship. That's how your relationships are going to become healthy and pure again. There's another thing that we learned, though, from this story about if you want healthy relationships that allow you to securely stay second and let Jesus be first. And that is, got to deal with true forgiveness. And I want you to look at the difference between how the father deals with true forgiveness and how the older brother deals with true forgiveness. Let's first look at the father. Take a look at this. In verse 20, and then we're going to read verses 22 and 23, it says, So he, meaning the son, the younger son, he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. That's important to remember. 
while he's still, while the son's still a long ways off, the father sees him coming. Filled with what? Love and, remember that, that's going to be important. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, he embraced him, and he kissed him. His father said to the servant, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. How does the father respond to the son? I want you to notice some critical things. I'm going to make a bold statement. The father had already forgiven the son before the son ever came home. There was an offense that happened. Something went down. The father didn't wait for his son to make a confession. The father had already forgiven in his heart. A couple of key moments of evidence for that. First, the father sees him while he's a long ways off. Secondly, he runs to him and his heart is filled with what? Love and compassion. It was already filled with love and compassion. Why? Because it's impossible for your heart to be filled with love and compassion towards someone who has wronged you if you're holding anger, resentment, and, uh, and an offense towards them. Your heart has no more room for love and compassion. It's filled already with anger, resentment, and a grudge towards them. And when the father gets there, he doesn't respond with anger. What does he do? It says that the Bible says he hugs him and he kisses him. He puts a smacker right on his cheek. He just lets him know. You know let me tell you one more piece of evidence. That the father proves the fact that he's already forgiven. He cuts the son off mid-confession. The son's confessing and the father just cuts him off. He had plans to say more than what he was actually able to say. The father steps in and goes, it doesn't matter to me. I don't drill you with third degree questions about where the money go, how you've been living. I've heard these reports. Why you've been doing this. You've been shaming our family. Blah, blah, blah. Well, I got you out here. I'm going to talk some sense into you. He doesn't even ask him where his heart's at. He doesn't do any of that kind of stuff. That's what tells me that the father had already forgiven him. Because he goes as far as to say, we're going to put great clothes on you. We're going to put a ring on your finger. We're going to bring you back in. You're not going to be called a servant. You will be called a son. Now, by the way, that is God's heart towards you. So if you're here today, you're living outside of a relationship with God, and you're wondering, what will God's response be if I come back to him? I just described it for you. How do I know that? My speculation Nope. It's the actual purpose of why Jesus was driving that story home. He was trying to help humanity understand what does his father's heart look like. Today, that's God's heart towards you. And if you need to run to God, then when we come into a time of worship in a few minutes, I want to challenge you. Run to altars just like this. Run to the altars that are in our gym. Run to the altars that are in North Platte. Lay your life down and let Jesus fully take control. Or otherwise, otherwise you could very much end up just like the older brother. Take a look at this passage. It says, Meanwhile, while the older son was in the fields working, when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked, he asked one of the servants, What was going on? Hey man, your brother's back. You know, he told him, Man, your brother, he came back. It's amazing. And your father, your father's killed the fatted calf. We're celebrating because of this safe return. And the older brother watched what happens with him. He's not thankful. 
It says that his older brother was angry and he wouldn't even go in. He got stubborn. I'm going to stand my ground. That guy doesn't deserve to see me. His father came out and he begged him. But he replied, all of these years, dad, I've slaved for you. And you never once, you never once refused to do a single thing. I never once refused to do a single thing that you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet, when this son of yours, important, it's no longer my brother. When this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. That son, that older brother, that guy had already determined in his heart, I'm not going to forgive this guy. You know, I don't, ha- I don't have to forgive him. You know, there's, he, you know what he did to me? He left me here to do all the extra work. He left me here to go out into the fields. I've had to work extra hours because of his laziness and, and his turning his back on us and running away. I have every right to be angry right now. I have every right to hold resentments. I have every right to not celebrate with him. But see what was going on? The whole time that the son was gone, the father was letting the offense go. And I guarantee you, the father had to let that go multiple times because it would come back and he would, get, he would hear some report and you'd have to deal with those emotions. And every time the, son, the older brother, you know, this offense came back to him, he grabbed a hold of it more and he brought it in like fertilizer and the root kept going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper inside of him. This rage was growing, this anger was growing, this resentment was growing in him and he wasn't going to let it go. You need to know today that true forgiveness starts way before the confession ever happens. Something that in your heart, you've had an offense happen to you. If you hang on to that, you're going to live as first. That doesn't honor God. Let the forgiveness process start way before the confession ever happens. But man, when, those, when the magic of a confession and forgiveness happens at the exact same time, it's a beautiful thing. It's when two people can really become healthy and whole. And if you've ever had that happen in your life, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's just like chocolate and peanut butter coming together. Mm-mm, good. <laughs> amen. Someone says amen to chocolate and peanut butter. And of all the other spiritual truths, they're like, yeah, whatever. It's like a good movie and popcorn. Popcorn, mm, it's okay by itself. Movies, they're okay, right? But when you slam those things together, now you got something that's good. When you slam confession with forgiveness and it comes together, it's something that's beautiful. And I don't know what side of the fence you're on, which one you need to deal with more, the confession of something or the forgiveness of something. But whatever it is, you know what God's doing today? God's challenging you to let him be first in your relationships, to let him be first in your life, and for you to take second place. And that's going to require you to humble yourself. Just like the friend of mine is going to share his testimony. He's one of our deacon members here, one of our spiritual leaders of our church. He's going to share his story with you to help you understand that broken relationships in this day and age, God's still working to mend and to heal them. And when he does, amazing things happen. Why don't you listen to my friend, John Saling? My story begins uh, growing up in the small town of Kennesaw. Uh, my wife Sonia and her uh, mother and two brothers had moved back 
from New York City and moved in with our grandparents. And uh, my folks were divorced when I was, my parents when I was five. And uh, through those circumstances, I spent a lot of time living with my grandmother. And uh, the two houses where we lived were just a two, two doors apart. So we pretty much knew each other ever since we were little kids. And even though they weren't what you consider Christian homes uh, per se, uh, our grandmothers in both of our lives had a very strong positive influence on us. But I really didn't have any, any knowledge of God or godly things at that time. And uh, Sonia and I started dating, though, we'd, even though we'd known each other for a lot of years. We started dating when she was between her junior and senior year in high school, and I had actually graduated and uh, had moved to Hastings. And shortly after she, uh, out, of high, out of high school, uh, we got married. Shortly thereafter, we had my son, Brian, and shortly thereafter that, we had our daughter, Robin. Well, all this took place in, in just a matter of months, not years, so I had pretty much uh, put a lot of responsibility on myself and honestly didn't really have the background to handle it, but that's how life was, so we coped with it. Um, shortly after Robin was born, we moved to Kearney, and uh, I worked a couple different jobs in Kearney, and uh, significant, the fact that I went to work for L&W Service Center, and that's where I met Denny Russell, who over time became a very, very close personal friend. Our wives became very good friends, and so did our children. Well, at the, shortly thereafter that, in a couple of years, then I went to work with my father in his business. And that was probably the first time in our lives, married lives, when we really had what I considered some financial stability or independence. But along about that same time, as Pastor Jeff talked about, all of a sudden the grass was looking really green on the other side of the fence. I kind of convinced myself, you know, I got married too soon, I had kids too soon, I really missed out on a lot of the fun things that you should do in your young adult life. So I pursued some of those at the expense of my marriage, obviously. Well, about that time, though, we, had a, uh, we hired a new salesman at Sailing Kenworth, and uh, he was a Christian, and he was the type that really wasn't bashful in his faith. I remember several times uh, he tried to witness to me, and I said, hey, I'm glad that works for you, but I don't need that stuff in my life. And so the, 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 our Sonia and our relationship deteriorated to the point that I moved out. I decided, you know, I, I, I can no longer do this. I want out of this marriage. So I, uh, I moved out. And I set an appointment with my attorney to try to come up with a plan, uh, the easiest plan I could think of to get out of this marriage. And uh, what I did then, after I set the appointment, I called Sonia and said, well, I'm meeting my attorney tomorrow morning. And when I get done, I'll come to the house and tell you how we're going to do this. So that's what I did. Well, unbeknownst to me, uh, the night before, uh, the salesman and his wife reached out to Sonia, and they witnessed to her. They came and prayed with her, and her basic prayer was, God, even though she didn't have a lot of, of knowledge or relationship with God, said, if you, know, you can somehow heal this marriage, I'll, I'll serve you and turn my life over to you. At the same night, that same night, they, they reached out to Danny and Trudy and you know, witnessed to them and you know, told them that, you know, what God can do in situations. So anyway, the next day, I'm not aware of any of this. I go to the, to the attorney's office and come up with a plan. And I even had the attorney said, oh, you know, you sure counseling? Or I said, no, I'm, 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 I want out. So I left that attorney's office with the plan. And somewhere between the door of the attorney's office and the bottom of the steps, I just had this feeling come over me that, you know, I for some reason I need to go home and tell my wife that we need to figure out a way to try to make this work, which when I did, it, uh, and I went home and I told her that, and I said, I don't understand this, and of course that just blew her away because of the prayer she'd made the night before, 
None of us realized that God can work that fast. But and I and I did like I said I didn't understand what happened. So anyway, after I talked to her at the house, I went back out to work and I tried to explain this to to the sales guy. Uh, and of course, he got up. He was praise God, hallelujah. And I thought, well, you know, <laughs> whatever. I just know that there's something that's happened in my life that I don't understand. Well. From that point on, right there in his office, basically, he led me to the Lord at that point. And within a matter of hours after that, Denny Russell gave his life to the Lord. And not too many days after that, Trudy did. So in, in God's grace and mercy, not only saved and, and restored our marriage, he saved our very best friends so we can go through this together, which was wonderful. I mean, from that point on, uh, we went, I mean, I was on a mountaintop with my faith. Uh, we were having Bible study four nights a week. I mean, we met and started attending New Life Assembly. I met Pastor Bob and Connie. I mean, you just, you couldn't ask for a better s situation. Well, then through this, being members of the church, uh, we came to, started to become also good friends with Gordon and Connie Von Hoff. Uh, Gordon was actually an ordained four-square minister, but he actually attended here. He led worship, really a, a dynamic and charismatic guy, and we got to be really good friends. One Saturday morning, and also, well, let me back up a minute. We also kind of got, I got caught up into the, 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 the teaching that, you know, if I can increase my knowledge of God to a high enough level, and my faith would grow with that, that God basically would hand the steering wheel back to me for my life. And I really believe that. So I read books, I listened to tapes, I did everything that I could think of to try to get to that point. So... That means that then uh, Connie called one Saturday morning. She said, well, they've, they've taken Gordon to the hospital. They think he has pneumonia. So we went up to the hospital. We prayed for him. We had other friends come up and prayed for him. We had people come out to the church here, and we had a prayer vigil for him. And my full expectation was that God was going to heal him. That's, I just knew that he would. Later on that night, Gordon died. And it, it really it hit me hard. Didn't know what to do with it. Didn't know how to cope with it. And then a short time later, the salesman that was very instrumental in getting my family put back together and helping me get through that, we kind of come to a disagreement. He left, which was another thing. You know, God, I, I don't, and a few other things happened. I got to the point, said, God, if this is the way it is, I want out. I, I, I don't understand. This is not how I would do things. I really didn't think God's will was of any consequence. It's what John's will was. So anyway, I entered a, a period of time where I did everything I could to run backwards as fast as I could. I, 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 rather than run towards people to help me, I ran away. Forcing my wife, she reached out to her friends and her support people, and they helped her through this time. I always want to say this was a six-month period. She said it was five years, and she was right. But as we kind of, and, and I'd say I, did, I ran as hard as I could, backpedaled, backslid as fast as I could. Well, anyway, after about this, into this fifth year, I got a call from Pastor Wine, and that's nothing you really want to get, but anyway, he said, John, I need to, vi I need to, I want to visit with you, so I went to the meeting, you know, not really knowing what to expect, and if you know him, he made the comment, well, I sense in my spirit that, John, if you don't start making some positive steps to regain the ground you've lost, you may never come back. Well, fortunately, it was at the right time. He waited, and he, he sensed God's timing, and he waited for the right time to tell me that, and fortunately, I responded. And you know, that's been, and it, it, it hasn't always been easy, but that's been 25 years ago, and I'm still trying to regain some of that ground, but, you know, and I know since that time, I have stretched the boundaries of God's grace and mercy, but in every case, he's been faithful to me. 
and all I can say is what I finally came to the point was, God, there is no turning back. I will not turn back, and I'll do the best I can to serve you. My name is John Saline, and I'm definitely second. That's a great story. That, uh, that's the kind of story that moves my heart. But now it's your turn. It's your turn to respond to God now. You've got to make some critical decisions. You're going to let relationships that you have that are broken remain broken? Or are you going to come to God and say, God, I need your help to confess. Help me to find the right words. Help me to find the right moments. Maybe you're the one on the opposite end of the spectrum and you've been the one that's been hurt and wounded and there's pain that you're carrying. And you've got to make a decision today. Are you going to walk back out of here carrying that same baggage which is causing you to be first and Christ to be second? Or are you going to lay it down once and for all? And that's why in our venues we have altars and they're for the hungry. And today I want to encourage you during our time of response, our time of worship, to come to one of those altars, lay your life down and go, God, I want you to be first in my life again. I need you to heal relationships. I need you to help me forgive. I need you to help me confess. I need help, Lord, valuing what you put around me because my mind and my heart keeps dreaming for the green pigs and I don't want to go there and live amongst them. So it's your, it's your turn now. You heard John's story. You heard the story of the, the younger son. Your story's still being written. What's the next chapter going to look like when you walk out of these doors this day? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Father, as we come before you, we come in Jesus' name. Lord, people are standing all over the place out of an act of obedience to you. And in a moment, God, as our worship teams begin to play, it's really that opportunity for us as individuals, one-on-one, to respond to you. So God, I'm praying right now for all of those people that are hearing my voice right now, that the power of your Holy Spirit would minister to their hearts that you would bring truth into their hearts and you would remind them that, Lord, you haven't given up on them. You haven't given up on the relationships. You still have the ability to heal broken relationships. You still have the ability to heal the offense that's caused by broken relationships. You still have the ability to to soften the hearts of us that have caused broken relationships, to humble ourselves and confess in a way that brings healing and wholeness. So, Lord, would you move you move upon new life right now would you move upon every single person that's at new life right now worshiping may we be obedient people that come to you and lay our lives down and let you truly be first may we be truly content as second so may we worship you with everything inside of us may you find us to be a people of complete obedience and surrender to you in jesus name amen